Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back. It's good to be with you again today. Uh, I'm excited to have a good friend of mine, Brother Kyle Lyons, here with us today. Uh, he is just a rock star in the seminary and institute world. And woo woo. We're excited to have you here. It's good to be Thanks, with you. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, of course. Um, let's just start. Introduce yourself. Tell us about you. What should we know? You just had a baby. Well, you didn't, but your wife did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just let the record show that I didn't have the baby. My wife had the baby. That's a good, a good thing to clarify, but... Yeah, Benjamin Christopher Lyons brought into the world August 20th. Congratulations. 2022. So yeah, it's it's a miracle for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he came six weeks early, yeah. so that was a little scary, a little stressful for sure. a little bit. You yeah. know, it's like you don't, you want to stay positive. You don't want to let these things creep into your mind, but I think any parent would be lying to you if they didn't think the worst for at least yeah. a moment. Yeah. Uh, six weeks early. When the yeah. doctor says, hey, yeah, you better buckle up because... Yeah. He's um, coming, you know, and it's, yeah, anyway. That's cool. Good mm -hmm. for you. Congratulations. Baby's healthy. Mom's healthy. Super healthy. Everybody's home. Yeah. perfect. I mean, that's like, good. I can't, like, perfectly healthy. It's that's just, good. yeah, such a blessing. Awesome. And that's your second. Second baby. Yep. Second baby. That's right. Very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about your SNI experience. How long have you been with SNI? What are you doing now? Yeah, I've uh, been teaching for six or seven years, something like that, and just recently got reassigned to be a recruiter slash trainer for potential hiring candidates. Yeah. So um, I, I try to find people who love to teach the youth, who, who love the youth and love the gospel. And when you love both of those things, then that's usually a good combination yeah. to, to have a career in seminary and institutes. And so find them and train them and uh, just connect with them and uh, prepare them for either a career in temporary institutes, which happens for some and True. for others, they just become more Christ-like teachers. And so either way, it's a win. Yeah, it's a benefit mm -hmm. for them. Man, I can't think of a better guy to teach those that are coming in to be a better teacher. You're just, uh, well, you're going to find out today, those of you listening, we're, we're blessed to have Kyle with us today. Um, Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, I'd like to talk maybe at the end a little bit more sure. about that for those mm -hmm. that are out there that are interested in maybe looking into becoming a seminary institute guy, girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and maybe just what that looks like. And, and, um, even if not, even if you just want some better gospel training, right. It's a, yeah. it's a great place to come and, and to be taught for free mm -hmm. uh, by some of the best in the world. So, uh, so maybe at the end, we'll, we'll yeah, come back definitely. to that. Very yeah. cool. Uh, today, the, the, this week, uh, we are studying Hosea and Joel. So good. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, a little different, but it's good. I mean, at least Hosea's, it comes off a little different. Yeah. Um, and maybe if it's okay with you, I'll just I'll just give a little bit of context. Please to Hosea. do, yeah. Um, you know, Hosea is a is a unique prophet in uh, the scriptures because most of the scriptures that we have um, from prophets in the Old Testament come from 
the Jerusalem area. They're they're living down there, or they got taken captive into Babylon, right? Right. We've got Nehemiah, who was a guy in in Babylon. We've got Daniel was up in Babylon, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got some up there, and some of some of them otherwise are mostly down in Jerusalem, or or you know from Adam on, kind of the travels to Jerusalem. Yeah. But Hosea is different because he lived north in the northern you know country where the northern tribes were. Yeah, the scattered and, Israel. Yeah, yeah, up there. Uh, he would have been a contemporary of Amos and Isaiah, so kind of the same time as Isaiah, um, Jonah and Micah, those guys, um, but was north. And so he's living amongst the people that have already lost their, their way, right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah's prophesying and, and warning, don't do this because it's going to get bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hosea is saying, it's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've already done this stuff, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's maybe unique to have uh, the righteousness of a Hosea living amongst the the mess that was the northern tribes at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some kind of unique things that come out of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just I, I like Hosea's story generally. I think it's it's a unique way to look at the scriptures. Definitely. I, I think it's important to remember that, uh, I, we, kind of, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but northern Israel is going to be scattered 100 150-ish years before, right? Yeah. About 720 BC, the Assyrians are going to come and they're right. going to successfully conquer and scatter Israel right. and the, you know, the, the northern tribes. Yeah. And Judah hangs on for a little bit longer. Right. They're able to maintain that righteousness. And, and just like you said, I, I just that context just adds so much um, in terms of looking at Hosea through that lens. Of yeah. these, are, these are a little bit wicked, more wicked of a people. Yeah, so while, while this is happening, um, while Hosea's story is happening, Isaiah's down south. Uh, mm-hmm. Having his kind of Reb Sheka moments, where mm-hmm. you know the interaction with Reb Sheka and the and the king of Assyria coming down, saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna come down and destroy you," and that's when the 185,000 are, are destroyed by the angel, right? So, mm-hmm. so that story's happening down south while Hosea's up north, yeah. uh, dealing with the people that have already lo- been lost for about 100 years. So, yeah, yeah, well said. That's good. So um, maybe we just jump in a couple of things at the beginning here um, of Hosea. Uh, the the Lord uh, goes to this guy Hosea, and uh, he says, "Go take unto thee a wife," and uh, he does. So he went and took Homer. Gomer is her name, the daughter of Diblaim, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. So this is just the first chapter, verses two and three. Um, <clears throat> and the Lord said unto him, "Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu." And, it, and it, you know, if you don't go back and study this, it's like, what the heck? What? Okay, call this kid Jezreel, and then I'll avenge him, right? And yeah. That's not really what's going on, right? This is, this is well, the, the name Jezreel means uh, God sows seed, effectively, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, but Jezreel was a town that had been taken by Assyria. And when the king of Assyria went in, uh, this is back in uh, the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 10, um, when the king of Syria goes in, he does the wrong thing and just kills everybody. And like, it's not good. And, uh, and so the Lord's telling uh, Hosea here, name your kid Jezreel. For in a little while, I'm going to go avenge the city Jezreel because of this king Jehu, right? Mm-hmm. And will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel, right? So, so he's going to go in and, and, and do some work down there. Now, it, it's interesting maybe that... Uh, Gomer, the wife, and these children are all really just representations of the children of Israel. 
uh, to the Lord, the way that Hosea is writing, they kind of represent the, the northern tribes that have been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has another child then uh, by the time we get to verse 6. Um, well, maybe verse 5 first. It, it shall come to pass that on that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Right, so he's gonna he's gonna weaken Israel, allow them to continue to be scattered in this place of Jezreel. So uh, Gomer has another child, verse six, uh, named Lo Ruhama. Lo Ruhama. That's a mouthful. I know, right? right? Yeah, I love but, it. But again, the Lord says, "Name this child Lo Ruhama, and I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel." That's what Loruhama means. Right. No more mercy. Right? Yeah, like kind of, you know, like rude, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's just interesting to me. Like all of these kids are some representation of how the Lord's going to treat Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the contrast in verse six and seven, right? So, so I will have no more, I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, mm-hmm. but I will utterly take them away. And then verse seven, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. Yeah. And will save them by the Lord their God. And I remember uh, I was at a little family reunion a few years ago, and I was we were teaching something from the Book of Mormon, you know, like a little devotional sure. in the evening. Family gathered around, and I remember my niece talking about the Lamanites and the Nephites, and how the Lord was protecting the Nephites from the Lamanites as a result of their faithfulness. Yeah. And and she, you know, I think she was probably nine or ten at the time, and She's like, well, but doesn't God love the Lamanites too? You know, like, like why, why is God, if, you know, he's this all-loving, right? If, right. If, he, if we're all children of God, why is he choosing one people over another people? Yeah. And, and I think you could ask the same question here, right? So the northern kingdom, right? He's saying, I'll have no more mercy, but he will have mercy uh, on the lower kingdom. And I think it's so important to remember that in this instance, these are, this is the same family. Yeah. I mean, it's hundreds of years, right? But these are all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And similarly, the Lamanites and Nephites, they are descendants of Lehi. Yeah. And ultimately, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these, yeah. these populations, they really are, they're children of God, and, and they're even the same children of the same family. Right. And his, his favor, you might say, his mercy, is not a result of who their parents were right. or were not. Because they all had the same parents. Yeah. But I just have a testimony that God blesses those that choose Him. Yeah. And and as we'll you know as is one of the themes of Hosea is, you know He doesn't give up on us and no. that His blessings are there for us as we come to Him and yeah. repent. But um, I just I know that that the commandments that He gives us are for a purpose and that purpose is to lead to greater happiness. And yeah. and when we don't keep the commandments, we we will struggle to feel that mercy, kind of like the Northern Kingdom. Right. Is and, and kind of like what Jose is trying to teach us by the name of um, his daughter. Yeah, yeah, well said. I, I think it's great. I think it reminded me in the Book of Mormon when the Nephites and the Lamanites uh, split right mm-hmm. early on. Yep. Um, the reason given by God um, for the Lamanites, they will be a scourge unto thy people to bring them unto remembrance of me. Right, so the reason for them being a scourge, allowing them to be that way, was to help keep the Nephites humble. Yeah, and eventually, when the Nephites aren't humble, they will become 
a scourge to the Lamanites, so the Lamanites will be humble, right? So the yeah. Lord doesn't curse us with bad behavior, right? right. He's not like, you're going to be the bad guy, and right? He's like, I'll allow these people to be the bad guys because yeah. it's going to help these people stay solid, and I need a book to come from these people. Right. So we're just going to allow that to happen. And oh, and by the way, I'm the judge at the end, so because I bore those children into those families, I can accord, I can judge them accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, based on just what their knowledge was, and, and their equation is a little different maybe yeah. than the Nephite kids' equation. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that there's moments in the Book of Mormon where the Lamanites are the favored oh, yeah. ones of God, right? right? The Nephites yeah. have become... And so it, it really, it's not... Uh, who your parents are. It's not what, I mean, yeah. it's just who is going to choose God and, exactly. and as President Nelson would say, let him prevail yeah. in their lives. Man, I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something else in seven just I think is interesting. Uh, let me reread that, verse, chapter one, verse seven. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and I will, and will save them by the Lord their God. Then keep reading. And will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horse, nor by horsemen. If I fast forward 700 years, six, seven hundred years, Christ's time, you think that every Jewish person in the city of Jerusalem would have looked at Hosea's words here and said, oh, he's not going to save us by horse. Yeah. He's not going to come in with us like with an army. He's going to save us in a different way. I should probably learn what that is, right? Yeah. Because they kept looking at the Savior coming in saying, hey, he's going he's gonna to be our military leader and our, our ruler, right? Yeah. As our king. And that's just not, it, it's right here, plain as day. Plain as day. I thought the same thing as I was studying that, Matt. I was trying to imagine you know, just visualize my mind, Jerusalem, right? And the right. people, and we're so fortunate today be, to be literate. I mean, the the majority of the population is literate, whereas right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that that was the case in sure. Jerusalem. A, right. yeah, a scholar might be able to, you know, clarify that a little bit more. Yeah. But so I imagine just, you know, how are these people in Jerusalem uh, receiving or, or searching or seeking the word of God? And, and they had synagogues, Right, that yeah. that help where where priests would and teachers would would teach them, but but I think I don't think it's too much of an assumption or too crazy of an assumption to to think that that a lot of the I'm using you know air quote quotes. air quotes right <laughs> now right yeah. word of God right, right? <laughs> was was not derived from the written text. It was not even derived from one having authority. Right, but it was just kind of just people Passed talking. Along info right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And. And I just think about today how with social media, I just, I don't know if it's that different. Yeah. It's, you know, when we are, when we are searching social media for the word more than we're searching yeah. the text for the word, right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's clear as day and, and, and there's so much confusion and darkness that can fill our life, not even from people that are intending to do that, but just when we are not in the Word of God, yeah. the the real Word of God, right. no air quotes on that one. Right. When we're not in the real Word of God daily, drinking from the words of Christ, uh, it's going to lead to confusion and darkness, which we see in the people yeah. in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it, it reminds me of a couple of things President Packer has said. President Packer's talks about getting stuck in the thick of thin things. Mm -hmm. a beautiful phrase, the thick of thin things, and that's just social media to a T. Yeah. Right? There, there's good happening there, right? Um, but man, you got to look for it to find the good. Right. There's so much that just is that leads us astray, and it's that we get stuck in the thick of thin things. Yeah. And in a in a similar talk, and maybe even in the same talk, I can't remember exactly. He talks about how uh, a study of the gospel will change behavior faster than a study of yes. behavior will change behavior. Right. And that's in preach my gospel yeah, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next line of that 
talk is really interesting. He's actually talking about teaching children in this mm -hmm. talk. And he says, a preoccupation with sin will lead to more sin. And it's interesting that those two lines are connected, right? That, that if, I'm, if I'm interested in overcoming my sin, um, a, a study of the gospel is going to change my behavior faster than a study of my sin is going to change it, right? Mm -hmm. Think of pornography maybe as an example. Yeah. If I go try to study the world's view of pornography, not only am I going to be studying something that probably the world's going to teach me wrong about, but I'm preoccupied with the thing and studying the thing is going to cause more problem. Yeah. Right? Versus just going to the Lord, studying the scriptures, and getting my answers from the Spirit, right? Yeah. That, that maybe have nothing to do with what I'm reading, but I'm studying the gospel, I'm opening the door to the Spirit, and those answers come. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that there isn't a need occasionally for some help, right? For yeah. Clinical kind of help. But, uh, but man, I just love those quotes from President Packer. It's just so instructive there. Yeah. And, and like you said, would have been so good for these people to just, you know, just, Amen. just listen, go to the right sources. Just, go ahead. I, yeah, I just want to add my testimony that when we search the words of the prophets, modern or ancient, yeah. we will be blessed with clarity and light. Right. We will be able to recognize the Savior in a way that many in Jerusalem were not able to because they were not yeah. drinking from the Word of God. But we will be able to recognize them in a way that many people in Jerusalem were. For example, anyone who had studied the book of Hosea recently right. would have been more prepared to see God in right. their life yeah, when Jesus came. And seen that and said, oh, he's, he isn't coming like that. He's not coming yeah. like a, a ruler. Yeah. He maybe is like this guy that's just healing people and, and like perfect. <laughs> yeah. like that, that guy that I probably should follow, right? So great. Let's jump back in. Hosea has another kid. Uh, Lo-Ami is his name, uh, another boy. Um, and that, that name means, he's instructed again to call his child Lo-Ami, um, and then the Lord says, for ye are not my people. That word, um, the, the name Loami just means not my people. And, uh, you know, it's just really interesting that, that the Lord is using his, this family of Hosea to just describe his people up there. Yeah. And, uh, but, but the next verse is really interesting because we've talked about how the Lord will preserve Judah, right? That was in verse 7. But in verse 9... You're not my people, northern ten, ten tribes, right? You're not my people. But then look at verse 10. Yet the number of children, the number of the children of Israel. Now we go back to the big family, right? Not the northern ten tribes, not the southern tribes, but the yes. whole mm -hmm. of the family, right? Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it has been, where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. So someday you're going to be my sons, not just my people, right? I will claim you, I will own you. And then 11, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together. And here we are at the gathering now, right? Mm -hmm. And appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And there's Jezreel again, right? The first, the first one shall yep. be last. Maybe mm -hmm. a little bit there. Yeah, see that theme yeah, in there. Yeah, really cool. Good. So chapter two, um, we, we start getting some comparisons to a husband and a wife, and a wife has been unfaithful. Uh, and it's pretty direct, you know, the, the way that the Lord speaks through Hosea here. Um, it, uh, it, it just is really calling it out, the, the behavior of the children of Israel uh, in the north. Uh, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband, 
Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. It really is just referencing you've picked up false gods all over the place. And do uh, you need to start putting those things away? We get to verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. I think that's an interesting verse. This is a, this is a, a, a woman, a, a people who is just straight up running away from the Lord. And yet the Lord says, I'm going to put some thorns in your way so you can't get too far off the path, right? That I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to know where you are. I'm going to keep you somewhat in my view and in my, in my way. It reminds me of the comparison Elder Bednar drew between physical pain and guilt mm. and how you imagine what your life would be like without the sensation of physical pain. I, sure. I don't know anyone who's going to, you know, oh, man, I love pain. I mean, maybe <laughs> right, some yeah. like weightlifters. You right. know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> might say he loves pain. No pain, pain. no gain. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No pain, no gain. Um, but, you know, you imagine uh, a hot stove, right, and you put your hand on it. The instant response to that is to jerk it away. Sure. And, and in some cases you cry, you yeah. know, you're, oh, you're put underwater. My grandma would put butter on it. That I do not recommend <laughs> not scientifically. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, oh, man. And, but you imagine if you did not have pain receptors in your hand yeah. and you just unwittingly, you know, start leaning on this stove that's, I mean, I don't know, 500 degrees, yeah. you would melt your hand off, yeah. quite literally. Right. And so in that way, the pain you feel is actually a blessing that sure. protects you yeah. and, and teaches, basically protects you from... Hmm destroying your physical body. Well, kind of like we just talked, right? So the, the thorns that the Lord puts in our way yeah. is the Lamanites, is the trial in my... As I run off into crazy town, the mm -hmm. issues that I have when I'm not living right are the thorns that the Lord puts in my way so that I'll turn away from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so, so cool. So Elder Bednar, he's... Uh, I'm paraphrasing really just a little. He says, guilt is to the spiritual body as pain is to the physical body. Mm. And so exactly what you just said in verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. Mm. Yeah, you're going to experience guilt mm. when you go to sacrament meeting after you know, you'd been looking at pornography that week. Yeah, yeah you're going to feel guilt cheating on your spouse. Yeah, yeah. you're going to feel guilt gossiping about a friend. You're going to feel guilt. Thorn. Uh, you're going to feel a thorn. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to feel these thorns. And it's not, it's not because people are judging you. Yeah. You know, oh, like... I, they don't know what your life is. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're not yeah. It's not because they're judging you. Right. It's because God is putting thorns in your path to protect you. He's saying, no, this is like, stop going this way. Yeah. Turn around and let me show you the covenant path where there are no thorns. Yeah, that's so good. It reminds me, and I was going to turn to it, but I just didn't have time. You didn't talk long enough. <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of the, the interaction Nephi has with his brothers, right? That... Um, when they're they're hearing what he's saying and they're hard things, yeah, right? and they're so hard. The chapter heading of that chapter in the Book of Mormon, and I can't remember what it is. It's in First Nephi somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, the chapter heading of that says, "The wicked taketh the truth to be hard." But when you read the scripture, and remember, the chapter headings were put together by man, not Joseph Smith. It wasn't yep, part of the yep. scripture, right? Mm -hmm. When you read the scripture, the scripture does not say that. The scripture says, "The guilty taketh the truth to be hard." And what most of us in the church have memorized is the wicked take it, the truth be hard. Yeah. Right? And 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 
I think that the scripture is much more accurate to say that the guilty take it. That's why I'm afraid people are judging me, right? right. Well, they're supposed to judge me. They're supposed to identify right from wrong. Mm-hmm. We sing the song, choose the right, right? <laughs> I mean, Elder Oaks gave a fantastic talk back in the 1990s about the difference between final judgment and what he calls intermediate judgment, and that we are supposed to intermediately judge things. Um, but, uh, but man, I, I think when I'm being judged by others about things I do feel guilty about, my first defense is, who are you? Well, the reason I'm saying that, the reason Laman and Lemuel said it is because they're feeling guilt. They're feeling a thorn. And that thorn should be turning them the right direction. But our world has just said, no, no one should be making you feel thorns. You just run headlong into that thorn yeah, and it'll go and keep away. Keep running. Right? And, and the, the, the scary thing is it actually does go away. Uh, yeah. Like there is an end to the thorns yeah. to some degree. Well, I think the spirit leaves, right? And you, you just stop yep. feeling the guilt. Yep. Right? I think so, you're right. Wow. And by the way, we've learned something about you and me, Matt. What? <laughs> Turns out you do talk long enough. Oh, I, I did <laughs> you find found that scripture. Yeah. Oh, good. Where is First it? First Nephi 16. Oh, good. And verse 2 is when he says, The guilty taketh the truth to be hard, for it cutteth them to the very center. And yeah. it even is a similar analogy, right? The, right. Just like a thorn cuts yeah. you. Um, but I love that. I, it cutteth them to the very center. And am it's, I right that the heading says wicked? Yeah, the heading says the wicked taketh the truth to yeah. be hard. Yeah, that's right. So just a little, mis, a little misdirect there. But I think most of us have learned wicked, right? And, and maybe not. Maybe that's just the way I learned yeah, it. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's semantic yeah, at it this is. point, right? It is. But I think there's something there, right? That, that I don't have to be wicked. To feel guilt. Right. Right? I just yeah. have to have done something wrong. Yep. To feel guilt. So uh, just quickly heading off into the chapter two here again, just finish up. We'll finish up Hosea here because there's a lot in Joel I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's talking about this this woman, this this uh, harlot that is running after others, other lovers in verse seven. But she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and all this stuff that she was willing to give to all these other false gods. Um, she turns at the end after this thorny experience back to the Savior and saying, ah, oh, that was better. And man, isn't that just the truth? We see so many people who as younger people uh, in, in their experiences in the gospel, they're, the gospel's perfect, but people aren't, right? And the, sometimes our experiences with people in the sheepfold are kind of miserable because the sheep next to me is a little crazy. And, right? But the sheepfold itself, the place of safety, is where we should stay. But we see so many people in their younger years leaving, leaving the safety of the fold and going after these other things that will make them happy. And then someday, late in their life, sometimes too often, they say, I'm going to go back. It was better then. And, uh, and then it's a harder road. Right? they got to go slogging back through some of the stuff that, that they had to go through to get to where they were. So anyway, I just I think there's something really, really telling and a teachable moment there uh, for, for us all here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking before we started recording about the divorce culture in that time, and that's right. That's the symbol that Hosea is drawing here. Is you know we are married to the Lord, right? Yeah. We have, and we're married through our covenants. Yeah. And um, and yeah, and and he he talks about the Northern Kingdom, right? They've obviously they've they've cheated on yeah. the Savior, right? They've they've walked away. They've run through that um, that way of thorns, and and so in that context, I just I love verses nineteen and twenty, and I'll just read them because yeah. I love them so much, and. 
I just I would make sure that when you read the word betrothed that you uh, replace it with the word covenant. Yeah. Because that's that's what we're talking about. Sure. He says in verse nineteen, I will betroth thee unto me forever. Hmm. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. I have a testimony that we can know the Lord through our covenants and that despite the unfaithfulness that, or maybe in spite of the unfaith, whatever, I'm using those words incorrectly. Let's just pause there and yep. refill this. Yep. I know that as we make covenants with God, that we will come to know him and that he will always be perfectly faithful to that covenant, even when we are not. Yeah. And oh, I just love these verses, right? Because I, I, I do also know about his judgment and his justice. And that's, that's an important characteristic of his character. Yeah. And I've learned so much about life and I've been refined as a result of the negative consequences from not following him in my life. True. But I have also been blessed to know him through the mercy that I have always felt when I returned to him. Yeah, isn't that great? And he's always willing to give it too, right? 23, I will sow her unto me in the earth. I plant her, right? Mm -hmm. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. This person hasn't earned mercy, but I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to give her mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. He, he, might, he might allow you to run off after your false gods for a while, um, but he's going to hedge up your way with thorns and experiences so that you turn back and say, that was better. And then he'll take you back and show you mercy. Just, just quickly, chapter 3, verse 2, So I bought her to me. I bought her for 15 pieces of silver. It's an interesting money number, mm -hmm. right? What mm -hmm. was it the Savior was sold for? 30. 30 pieces I think. of silver, yeah. It's just an interesting connection there. Um, I say unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. He's just this connection between a husband and a wife and this, this man back then that uh, so easily could have, in their culture especially, um, just divorced his wife for having been unfaithful. Yeah. He will not do that. He will not do that to us because we will all be unfaithful on some levels, right? Yeah. And uh, he bought. He has bought us for a price. And I'm grateful for that purchase that was uh, an unfathomable amount, you know, when we really look at what he suffered and dealt with. Amen. It's a, pretty impressive. So that gets us kind of through... Uh, through the Hosea chapters, a little bit more in four, but but for our purposes today, let's jump into Joel. Yeah, take us to Joel. What should we I know? just and I just I love the connection. I mean, so, so don't let's let's keep in our minds what we just learned about the atonement of Jesus Christ from Hosea three sure. verses two and three. Right, I bought her to me mm -hmm. for fifteen pieces of silver. He redeems us, and and Joel just to kind of recap the the first chapter, and this is just from the Bible dictionary. By the way, I'm just I'm reading it from my computer right here. It's a call for a solemn assembly in the house of the Lord. Chapter 2 tells of war and desolation to precede the millennium. Okay. And chapter 3 speaks of the latter days, our days, okay. and affirms that all nations shall be at war, but that eventually the Lord will dwell in Zion. Right? Got so it. you kind of see this um, second coming millennium theme sure. in the book of Joel. Right. And 
I uh, am going to jump to chapter three. Okay. Because I, I love when prophets are speaking of our day, you know, <laughs> 3,000 years before our day has come. It's mm-hmm. just so inspiring to me that the Lord, I mean, he, he sees from the end from the beginning. Like he knew when, I mean, hundreds, I mean, he's, I think of Genesis chapter 50, right? Sure. With Joseph. He's telling yeah. Joseph about Moses. He's telling him about Joseph Smith. I mean, this right. is hundreds and thousands of years. Right, yeah. Um, and God, he just, he sees it all. Yeah, and he just explains it like, and this is going to happen. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's like next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like 7,000 years from now. I mean, just happen. all that has happened in between then, it's just, it's just, it's just amazing. Well, and, then pause for just a second, because I think that's something that's really important here. You know, this, the beginning of the Old Testament runs so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. We get Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to Abraham in like 20 chapters, mm-hmm. and and it and it just moves by you know tens of years, thousands of years almost mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah. right? And and then we get here, and probably for the whole last half of the Old Testament, we're stuck in the same time, right? Yeah. Once we get to the Promised Land, we're kind of within the same I don't know two hundred years, three hundred years maybe, and it doesn't move quickly through it. Um, and I think that's important to remember that that we're kind of just talking about a people that kind of lost their way. Yeah. Once we get them, you know, three thousand years in. Yeah, um, and the first half of the Old Testament is the three thousand years, and then we're the thir- the three hundred years at the end, right? Yeah. The four hundred years, whatever yeah. it is there. So anyway, keep going. No, Sorry. thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. And and so, um, speaking of settling in and sitting somewhere, sure. jump to me uh, with me to verse fourteen okay. in Joel chapter three. Okay. So Joel, he's seen the last days, mm-hmm. and he emphasizes multitude. So so I'm reading this like, okay, there are a lot of people yeah. here, right? He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Mm. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Mm. And I, so every time, in fact, I've been doing this this year, studying the Old Testament. Every time I see the word mountain, I think temple. Just mm. every, yeah. just every time, and it has been illuminating mm. to, see, to, to see that symbol in that way. And it's taught me so much about my Savior. And, and so the valley to me is, is where we are, right? It's, and it's the, will we, the decision, right? What's the decision? The decision is, will I climb the mountain? I'm sure. here in the valley, yeah. right? Which is below the, the mountain. Will I climb the mountain or get am I going to gonna chill in the valley? Yeah. yeah. Will I get to the temple sure. or will I not? Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, I've climbed a lot of mountains. I'm, my wife and I were super into hiking. Right. And uh, anyway, she, we just love being outdoors. Usually, when you climb a mountain, you need, you got to drive there, uh, and you want to start a little bit earlier in the day sure. because it gets hot. Yep. It's in the summer. August is usually a, you know a really good time to climb, yep. and so and so and it's usually on a Saturday because I work. Right. And uh, <laughs> and anyway, there's a lot of things I'd like to do on. I'd like to sleep in on Saturdays. Right, yeah. I'd like to watch cartoons. You could watch cartoons <laughs> in my pajamas, <laughs> eating cereal with the little right. bowls with the straw right, yeah. on it. You know what I'm talking uh-huh, about? Yeah, the, yeah, 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 the I'll, straw I'll, bowls. Totally yeah. with you. Yeah, I can't live without those. <laughs> And anyway, there's just so much ease and relaxation and just, oh man, it's just so satisfying to my body, I suppose. Yeah, the, those things you could choose to do on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, and, and so sometimes when I wake up at five or six in the morning on a Saturday, I think to myself, oh my gosh, like, am I really going to climb this mountain? Yeah. You know, this, there's so many, so much more I could do yeah. that would be easier and, and yet, I have never in my, I, 
I'll be bold enough to say, I don't think anyone has ever gotten to the top of the mountain and thought, not worth it. Wish I'd have stayed <laughs> yeah. home. Wish I'd have stayed home. That, <laughs> Dang oh. that cereal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, nobody, nobody does no, that. Yeah, right. I can't, and, and I mean, someone's gonna call me like, I did it one time. Like, okay, well, thank you. One human on the face of the planet that yeah, right. regretted climbing. And I just, I, um, I'm, I'm thinking about an experience where I was on a mountain for a sunrise and the peace that I felt and um, and just looking out over the valleys and the other mountains yeah. and just and just being so humbled and feeling the Holy Ghost teach me God is real. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the times I've climbed the mountains. Yeah. And and that you got out of the valley of decision. Yes. Right. And and think about uh, you make the decision to go, then you go through the hard work of getting there. Yep. And climbing, yep. right? The the danger that maybe sometimes comes. Mm -hmm. you, you you trust in ropes. You trust in other things. You have faith in in the experiences of the people around you. They're helping you get to the top, and then you get there and you have this grand experience. This, your vision mm -hmm. has changed, right? Yeah. And then what do you come down the mountain with? You come down the mountain with a completely different perspective, right? Yep. How what a perfect analogy of the temple and what it takes to get to the temple. Yeah. Right? The work that it takes, the faith that it takes, the effort, the trust in other people, especially the Savior, right? We get up there, we get to the temple, and our vision changes. Yeah. We see the world in a completely new way. And then as we leave the temple, when we come back out into the world, we have a different experience. We walk down into the, into the valley, and we see the mountains around us differently because we just saw them from above. Mm -hmm. Our perspective is totally different. Uh, what a beautiful uh, way to see the valley of decision Yeah. as connected to the temple. And, right and the covenants we make there have you noticed matt i i don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain by yourself mm -hmm. so maybe so maybe you need to just you yeah know. I, I would probably die <laughs> <laughs> you and i are not in the same shape so, so have you <laughs> i am the rounder shape <laughs> have you noticed it's easier with people oh yeah have you ever been climbing and you you start talking with someone or whatever and it's like you forget that you're even working hard yeah yeah, because like if I'm, if I'm, okay, I'm going to talk about my shape here, right? If, if I'm hiking by my, or if I'm hiking and I'm not talking, I'm yeah. out of breath. There's no way I could start talking. But as soon as I start talking, my body like calms down into talk mode. Yeah. And I breathe better and I'm doing all kinds of things different. And if I'm talking, I'm actually a lot healthier in the hike, I think. Yeah. At least I feel healthier. Yeah, I, I feel like it's the same way with the temple. Yeah. You know, I, I consider the... The bishops, the young men's leaders, the young women's leaders, my parents, my siblings, my friends, and uh, I mean, and the list goes on and on and on, sure. right? And yeah. and just how how important it is to uh, to minister yeah. to those. I mean, it's uh, I, I just am constantly. I mean, am I doing enough to help my ministry and family know? Like, I I'm there for them. Yeah. I know I'm with them because. The, the path to the temple, and we might say, just for the sake of this analogy, the path to remain temple-worthy, yeah. right? The covenant path, as yeah. President Nelson would say, is, is just so much easier to be walked uh, with others. Yeah. And obviously the Savior yeah. should always be included in that. But, but, but we are the ministering angels, according to Elder Holland, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just one more thing, and then I, then I want to visit with you about um, uh, some other things. Um, you know, in, in all of Joel, when you were reading through the, the Bible Dictionary um, kind of description of what mm -hmm. Joel is, it all sounds like stuff that is out in our future, 
right? Chapter two's heading, war and desolation will precede the second mm -hmm. coming. Man, I don't look forward to that war when that happens, right? The sun and the moon will be darkened. That'll be scary. The Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Well, that's happening, mm -hmm. I think. So we're, mm -hmm. we're kind of there. Uh, there will be dreams and visions. If I look at the heading of chapter three, all nations will be at war. Won't that be horrible when we're all warring with everyone? And it's interesting to me because I remember sitting up um, just straight up in a in a priesthood session uh, in 2001. I'd just come back from my mission. I'd just gotten married. And uh, President Hinckley um, was talking in October of 2001. Uh, his, his talk is called Living in the Fullness of Times. He says this. He says, quote, The hearts of men have turned to their fathers in fulfillment of the words of Malachi. Done. Fulfillment. Check. Check. The vision of Joel has been fulfilled, wherein he declared. Now listen to what he's declared is done. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all the flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Check. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Check. President Nelson, again, the vision of Joel has been fulfilled, right? He keeps going. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Check. And I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Check. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. Check. Right? How cool is it that that stuff's already done? I think so many of us in the church were waiting for the day that Christ is coming in the hmm. future and we put everything second coming forward of us, yeah. right? We, we, we assume that it's all going to happen later, right? And it shall, last, la, the last verse he quoted, he says, It shall come to pass, this is all in chapter 2, by the way, uh, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be a deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Check. We're there. We've, it's already been fulfilled. All these things have been, been fulfilled. I just think sometimes we, we put the coming of the Savior again so far out there because we think all these, I haven't seen the, the, the moon turn to blood, right? I haven't seen pillars of smoke and I haven't seen all nations at war. What else are we if we're not all at war right now? I mean, it's crazy town out in the, in the world, right? And I just wonder sometimes if, if the Savior's a little closer than we think because we miss when prophets say these things are fulfilled. Yeah, and we we keep looking forward, thinking that they're going to be in our future sometime. Yeah, can I share a, just a final thought, Please, yeah. testimony? Yeah. Um. I just I I know that we're in the last days. Yeah. We're in the latter days. Yeah. And that's what Joel sees, and and just to reference verse fourteen again of the Valley of Decision. There's a couple verses that I've linked to it, okay. and I I just like to read those. Please. Uh, first one, Second Nephi chapter four, verse twenty six. This is in the Psalm of Nephi, mm -hmm. uh, right after Nephi's fathers passed away. Right. So you can imagine the, then, and in fact, the next chapter, he's going to leave his brothers. Yeah. So I don't know exactly the timing he's, here. He's having an emotional day. It's, it's an emotional it's day. The, oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah, chapter, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, which Nephi, <laughs> right. listen, if Nephi wretched is saying, man. oh, wretched man that I am, I have <laughs> got, some repenting yeah, I got to, some do. Work to do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, then, if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow? Mm. Same valley. Yeah, what a great connection. 
and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of mine affliction. I, I love how he references the valley. So we have the valley of decision and he talked about the same valley as the valley of sorrow. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah says, and many people prophesying again in the latter days and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Mm. And that's in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, or Book of Mormon, chapter 12, verse 3. Sure. Um, 2 Nephi, chapter 12, verse 3. Yeah. And I just have such a testimony of that, that like we were talking about before, there's a lot that would keep us in the valley of decision. Yeah. But as we wait, it becomes the valley of sorrow mm. because of the glory and miracles that we miss out on, yeah. on the covenant path. Yeah. And President Nelson, right, he says, expect miracles, mm. right? With faith as the grain of a mustard seed, we can expect miracles. And I know that when we are on the covenant path, ascending the mountain of the Lord mm. to the temple, that we will learn of his ways, that we'll walk in his paths, that we'll receive his word, mm. and that we'll get to the top, and we will have nothing really more to say other than this is glorious. Yeah. What a beautiful testimony. Thank you for that. I, I love the concept of that valley. I think so many of us get sorrowful in the valley and it becomes a valley of indecision. And we just sit there waiting for somebody to come take me out of the valley and we don't do enough work to get out ourselves and go climb the mountain. I love that. I love that vision. I love what you've painted for us today here. Um, thank you. This has been wonderful. I want to just briefly visit with you about um, the pre-service program and, yeah. and what you're doing uh, to invite uh, anyone that's listening to this uh, Brother Lyons is the guy that you would talk with about kind of getting plugged into those classes, about That's right. learning uh, to, to teach for the church in a more Christ-like way, um, maybe becoming a teacher for the church. So just talk us through kind of what that would look like. If I was a 18 to 50-year-old, it doesn't have to be a young adult, right? Yep, that's right. Um, how might it look? What might I do? What, what's the process look like? Yeah, I, just, I hope that people know uh, that if, if they got the feeling that they should they should look into it, they should look into it. Yeah. Don't please, I mean, and things have, things have changed. Uh, the process of short has shortened yeah. to, that leads to a job anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the class now, instead of being 14 weeks, is actually only really five weeks, yeah. really. Mm. And uh, six weeks technically, but, but five weeks. And, um, and, then, and then from there, you can pretty much get a job student teaching, mm. right? If, if it's a right fit for you and it's a right fit, for the church, then then we can make that happen. And, and that's paid student teaching. There's yeah. a, there's a payment for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, it pays pretty well. Yeah. And if you want more details about that, sure. certainly reach out to me. Um, but it's just, I mean, you know, Matt, I you, I know you you were in you were teaching public school for a yep. little bit, and yep. yeah, and that, well, that? and that's why I, that's why I say that, you know, uh, student teaching in the public schools is a free thing. You just you volunteer yeah. your time in the yeah. public schools, right? And, and that's different in the church. We we recognize and value your contribution. Mm -hmm. um, we're having you teach seminary. You're a seminary teacher for that mm -hmm. semester or two, um, whatever you do there, and and. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know when you and I went through the program to get hired, it was brutal. It was mm -hmm. it was a, almost a year long process, and it and it was tough. But they've they've recognized now that uh, that, that is a uh, th they can do that faster. They can they can mm -hmm. work through that process a little faster, and and um, and just and what's amazing to me about about the program 
is it isn't a place where you come and they teach you the gospel, right? You don't learn how to like deep dive into the scriptures. They're not giving you context and you know all the all the answers <laughs> aren't mm-hmm. there, right? They're, you're just not given those in the in a five week class, right? You're you're taught how to teach like the Savior teaches, right? And then you as a person go be good and be worthy of the Spirit so He can teach you through you. I, I wish that every Sunday school teacher, quorum leader or advisor, yeah. you know, women's advisor, elders quorum, I just, I wish I, that anyone who teaches could come and just, right. and just have this, this, this short experience that, it's, it's like a clinic. Like I remember in, yeah. in high school, I'd go to basketball clinics sure. or we had, you know, summer camp for football or right. whatever they called yeah. it. And, and it was, it was intense, you know, yeah. you went and, um, and you got better. Yeah. You got better really fast. And yeah. that's kind of what this course is. It's five weeks, once a week for 90 minutes. And you, you do that twice a week. So you could choose one of two classes. Yeah, there's multiple right sections now, right? that to So, to so like schedule. right now you've got a, is it a Tuesday morning? Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening. Thursday morning. And Thursday morning. So those are two different classes though, right? That's so you'd right. only go Thursdays or only go Tuesdays. That's right. And yeah. you've got some out in the Nampa area. Is there a class out yep, going now in Nampa? Yeah, in Nampa. We got one in Boise. Okay. So so wherever you are in the valley, you could find a place that's a little yeah. closer maybe. Yeah. Um, just that five-week experience that might turn into more if uh, if it looks like that might be something you want to do. And, and, and let me talk about that because there are some cool opportunities also. Sure. I think it's important that people know that we hire part-time teachers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you don't have to be a full-time teacher right. to be a paid seminary teacher, yeah. right? We yeah. hire, and we're hiring more part-time teachers than we ever have. Yeah. Another really cool opportunity is um, if you are looking for full-time work, there's, there's two options within full-time work. Mm. Uh, both are salaried, both are benefited. Um, one, you don't teach uh, or you don't work in the summers, sure. right? You get summers off, you get Christmas break off. Basically, if the students aren't there, you're not there. Yeah. And that is so cool for people that um, want a full-time job, but they want that time to spend with family. They sure. want a vacation or travel or, yeah. or, uh, or work on a degree. Or they're a student and they want That's their right. summertime, right? That's right. They're, they're in college and they're trying to work through college and they've got some plans for summer. They need to work differently through the yeah. summer or go home or whatever. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the church reimburses for graduate degrees, master's right. and PhD, not right. bachelor's. Yeah. But they, and so a lot of people will get that full-time job and take classes in the summer sure. when they don't have uh, work, right. but they're still getting paid over the summer because yeah, it's getting a, reimbursed for their schooling. And that's, yeah, and they're getting reimbursed. Yeah, so, that's cool. so that's a pretty cool. And then obviously we do have the, I guess what most people would consider like the, you know, the typical full-time career right. where you're, you're working year round. And, like you and I. Like you and me. That's yeah. right. Let, let's just clarify something that, that, uh, you know, those, those full-time uh, hired um, teachers that get their summers off, right? That uh, you don't have to have a degree for that. Oh, that's the thing. That, is that, that, is that right? Am I no bachelor's right? degree. Yeah. So you come straight off of a mission or straight out of straight high out school. Straight out of high maybe, school. Right? And, uh, and say, man, I really want to teach seminary and I want to, I want to get into the classroom and uh, be doing a full time gig while you're going to school. Yeah. You could be doing a part time gig while you're going to school. And, yeah. And, you know, it, it could be a, just a great place to work and a great environment to learn to become oh. more like the Savior and to teach more like Him. And, and isn't that true, Matt? I mean, isn't just working with our coworkers, oh, isn't it just yeah like like this assignment and it, you know the, the podcast thing that i'm doing here um it takes some time it's it's time but mm-hmm. but what a fantastic job i mean i literally yeah. wander around the valley and meet up with guys like you and are like hey just teach me what you found in the scriptures when you read right oh it's and it's amazing. like it's the highest powered uh colleagues you could possibly have yeah and uh, and it's just so good it's just so motivating and 
yeah, a good yeah. place to be, a good place to work. And I and I just want to make sure it's so it's clear too. I mean, in I, I don't know if this has happened uh, for you know whatever reason, but in theory, um, a young woman or a young man could graduate from high school and be student teaching that fall. Yeah. And then have a full time job in January. Right. Teaching seminary. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, there's just there's just no there's no restrictions yeah, around that right. We're just, we are looking for the best teachers. Yeah. We're looking for people who can connect with the youth, who love the scriptures, and ultimately, the the the, ba- the the main thing is that we're looking for people who can create experiences that deepen conversion to Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I I love the I love the connection with the Savior there. That that that's really the goal, and it's really not even. Uh, the best teacher in the sense that you're the smartest guy in the room, right? That, yep. that uh, man, and that was something that took me a while to learn that I am not the teacher in the room, right? The Spirit's the teacher in the room. As long as exactly. I'm guiding the conversation in, in a spiritual way and I'm worthy of the Spirit, and, you know, it, it, it's such a good job for me. It helps me just stay good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, But as soon as I learned that, that I don't have to be the best teacher. Um, I have to love my students. I have to love... Uh, the interaction with my students and want them to grow and want them to learn. And if that's you, if that's your capacity and, and your uh, temperament, man, this job's probably it, right? Yeah. And, and you'll learn the, you'll learn to read and study deep, and you'll learn all that just by default as part of the job. And they don't expect that when you first start, right? That's just it comes over years doing it, and yep, it's good. But you have to, you know, have to show a willingness to to study and sure. to know what you're talking about. Sure. Stuff. But, well, thank you. I, I hope that uh, from this episode comes some more people your direction. I, I think it would be great. If you if you want to reach out uh, to us at the Institute here, um, just in, in Boise or out in Nampa, um, we could connect you with uh, Brother Lyons pretty easily. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily want to give your phone number out over the air, but but uh, but we've got it here. So just reach out down to the Institute and, and say, hey, I just heard a podcast and then talked with Brother Lyons and love to get connected with him. So um, thank you. Again, this has been so fantastic. And, so fun. And uh, for all of you out there, he's just a, a, a jewel to learn from and uh, has been such a uh, Brother Lyons has been such an example to so many youth and young adults around town that uh, we're so grateful to have him where he is right now, helping uh, those of you that are interested become better teachers. And um, in, in closing, is there anything you would say to all the young adults, all the youth? What would you, what would you just want them to know? No pressure. I just kind of throw it out. Jeez, right? <laughs> man. The one thing. If there's one, the one thing, what thing. is it? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say one thing in context of what we studied today. It's time to leave the Valley of Sorrow. Yeah. Get on the covenant path and stay there. And I know that the only way to the greatest happiness, and eternal happiness, by the way, that we have is, is the covenant path, which is the path that leads to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. It's good to be with you again today. Thanks, Matt. We'll see you soon.